This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yes, we're live, and I forgot the intro music, so it's loading, loading. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jim Mallard, host of The Mallard Report. On The Mallard Report, along with my guest, we will have a conversation where we will share thoughts and opinions. For more information, my bio, past shows, social media links, and so much more, Visit mallard.com. M A L L I A R D.com. And thanks for listening. Before I forget to do this, because apparently I'm forgetting everything tonight. I'll blame my guest, but no, not really. It's all me because I have notes all prepared to do all this stuff, and I didn't do it. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know me. You give you ask me a question, I carry the show, man. <laughs> uh, before I forget to do the ad read, uh, visit veritiesapparel.com. Uh, go over and buy your great Veritas Apparel T-shirts. Enter promo code Mallard at uh, checkout, save ten percent, and get free shipping. My guest tonight is the answer to two Mallard Report trivia questions. That is Thomas P. Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil. First, Tom, how are you doing tonight? Great, Jim. Thanks for having me back, man. It's been, it's been too long. So there's two trivia questions that you're the answer to. You said you know. I, I kind of gave you a warning that I was going to ask you so I could let your wheels turn for a few minutes because I didn't want to cold call you on this. <laughs> so do you, which one do you know the answer to? I think I know the one. And the one question is uh, which host or, or which guest on the Mallard Report uh, – uh, only the only one who ever appeared two shows in a row. That's right. Tom Fusco is the only guest to appear two times back to back. You want to know? You have any clue? What will the other one be? Uh, I give up. I was the ugliest one. <laughs> no, that's the host. Um, oh, <laughs> this is your tenth appearance. There was a couple in there that you called in to call in. Well, pre-planned call-in shows, but this is your tenth overall appearance. No kidding. I I didn't know, Jim. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> As I told you, I got kind of, um, I don't want to say emotional, but reflective. Is that a better word? Of, Probably. Because um, I started to plan for 400. And so as I started to plan, um, you start looking at things and you start going, man, that's a lot of them. But we're not there yet, but we're getting there. So I, I first I wanted to thank you for... Well, all the airtime that you filled, <laughs> especially back in well, the days, especially back in the days when I just didn't want to talk. Well, it was an honor, Jim. So, for my listeners who are out there who are hearing you for the first time, tell me a little bit about the book behind the Cosmic Veil. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the concept for the book started many years ago, uh, and this is. Uh, Gosh, 40 years, over 40 years ago. Uh, that's pretty scary. But uh, I had, in my late teens and early 20s, I had a couple of very profound, uh, what I would like to call parapsychological experiences. Uh, some people call it psychic experiences. I uh, kind of avoid that word if I can because of all the baggage that comes with it. And... Uh, these things caused me to call into question uh, the nature of reality uh, that was taught to me in, in university. And it, for me, rather than uh, for a lot of people I know they get into with those experiences, they'll get into the experiential or the practitional aspect. Uh, for me, none of those ever occurred to me. Uh what happened to me was to uh, have this compelling question in my mind. Uh, what 
kind of a universe can allow these things to occur? How is the universe put together that could allow paranormal phenomena or even supernatural phenomena to occur? Uh, and the reality of them being inescapable, for me at least at that moment, uh, caused me to realize that the current scientific models that we had at the time were just simply inadequate. <clears throat> uh, there was either something wrong with what we understood about uh, what science understood about the nature of reality, or there was something missing. And so I set about to uh, explore that and to research it. And, and gosh, uh, it, uh, it was quite a few years before I finally got everything together that I decided that I was going to be able to publish it. And uh, uh, the book describes uh, and lays the groundwork for what I call super geometric theory or super geometry. And I published in November of 2011. And that's where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where it all started in. All spun out of control ever since then. Oh, well, maybe not out of control since then, but there was a time that this guy was out of control. We'll get into that later. Let's talk about the book some more. So how does... Now, go ahead, Tom. Put your put your smart cap on and blow my mind. So, oh, <laughs> how how does because we're so used to definites like physical things and all this other stuff. So, how does this supernatural activity leak into this picture? Well, here's the thing the the first uh, the first element of this is to work under the premise uh, when trying to work a theoretical model, essentially. Uh, what they call a TOE or a theory of everything. Uh, when working on a model like that, if you accept the validity of paranormal phenomena or supernatural phenomena as a body of evidence, uh, then you have to incorporate that in whatever model that you come up with. Uh, the model not only has to explain uh, observable phenomena in a traditional way, it also needs to be able to uh, to explain supernatural phenomena in a way that's consistent with all observations. And by observations, it's everything that we see or experience, whether it's with our five senses or with scientific instruments. Uh, and <clears throat> so that's the foundation of uh, super geometric theory. And the important ingredient to it uh, that made it work was to reject uh, what we would call materialism. Uh, in other words, the belief uh, that, that predominates physics even to this day, that all of reality, reality being all that there is, that reality is physical. And what is physical is reality. And there is nothing that lies outside the physical so that there's no reality outside of it. And supernatural phenomena, uh, if we're going to accept it as a body of evidence to reckon with, uh, implies that reality is more than what is physical. There's something else going on, something else connected to it. Uh, that kind of an idea has been around for a long, long time, thousands of years. Uh, but uh, and, and in the 20th century, we have uh, lots of different examples of it. Uh, Edgar Cayce called it the Akasha. Uh, people called it a fifth dimension or another dimension or a parallel universe. Or uh, religiously, people might call it the spiritual realm. Uh, Judeo-Christianity might call it the kingdom of God. You know, all these different names. <clears throat> uh, physicist uh, David Bohm called it implicate order. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, his name, uh, another Finkelstein. Uh, these are very prominent physicists in the field, uh, not fringe or crack. He called it uh, uh, coherent superpositions. But 
these were all concepts. What was missing was some way to give it an order and form and a structure that we could actually say in this superphysical or extraphysical or pre-physical or in, a, in what my term is supergeometric, <clears throat> in this realm, it has a certain nature, has a certain characteristic, it has a certain structure. And the processes that go on in that realm give rise to the physical universe that we experience as physical reality. So since that invisible, that that super physical state uh, gives rise to the physical state that it is a fundamental aspect of reality. And in order to get some sort of a better grasp of the nature of reality, uh, particularly from a theoretical uh, uh, viewpoint, we have to accept that this particular realm exists and that it has a function and a process. <clears throat> We're both coughing tonight. This is going to be good. No, I'm sitting here thinking, you mentioned all the different names the different people call I think we run into that problem with the paranormal too. We all have different names for different things. How many times were we all talking about the same thing, but we give it a different name? Well, yes, and, and that's true, Jim. And, and the reality of that is, is that there is no, there is no centralized database within, um, within the paranormal. There's no central authority. So minus consequently, minus Tom Fusco. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm, I, I may, <laughs> I'm an expert. Uh, I may be uh, authoritative in my understanding of and uh, being able to explain phenomena, but as far as a governing authority, I'm I'm far from that. Uh, so, uh, professional fields like uh, medicine or science or even plumbers, you know, uh, they have they form associations, and those associations ultimately become the governing authority. Uh, like the Bar Association or the American Medical Association. They become the central clearinghouse uh, for what is <clears throat> what is canon, what is lexicon, and what is outside of it. And science has its own way too. So you're right. That was one of the things I struggled with in the book. Uh, before I published, I had to come upon a set of terminology, some of it which is used to describe phenomena and elements that have never been described before. And so I had to come up with a uniform way of talking about them and, and names to, to assign to certain uh, elements that made sense. Uh, so it is, it's very difficult. Everybody's free to kind of, you know, do their own thing and call things whatever they wish. And who's there to say otherwise? But you're right, it would make more sense if we all kind of spoke the same language. Yeah, I, I mean, take an example. We talked about this. This is a common term in the supernatural, paranormal, uh, psychic field. Spirit energy. You know, when I hear it, I wince. It's an oxymoron. It's like saying honest politician. <laughs> because... First of all, energy scientifically is a very specific thing, um, which again, the, the rank and file uh, uh, people, you know, in society are not familiar with the scientific definitions of certain terms. Um, so energy is a very specific thing. And when people talk about what they believe spirits are and what their characteristics and qualities are, and you compare that to the accepted, um, you know, nature of energy from a scientific viewpoint. They're, they, they don't gel. They don't match. Uh, and so there's a term right there that uh, would never be accepted in scientific circles. You would have to come up with another uh, name for it because without that definition, it's you know, what Dr. Rourke called the, the feathery realms. 
becomes all very nebulous and and puffy and cloudy and uh, anything you want to think or believe is okay. Um, We have to constrain the elements that we're dealing with within a certain framework that can uh, receive a general agreement that these terms are referring to a certain thing. And then we can begin to actually communicate with one another. Uh, but you're you're right. I mean, the paranormal field, to a large extent, is still something like the Tower of Babel. Communicate with each other, Tom? Come on. Anyways, no, I want to take it back a step. Because we, you know, energy cannot be destroyed and all this other fun stuff. But, okay, so we're, A, we're assuming that, I mean, obviously people possess energy because we're up talking and all this other stuff. But if it, I think, is there any energy that actually transfers when somebody dies? Well, what we have, and, and you're right, it's part of the conservation laws, uh, mass energy conservation laws that matter, where mass and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. I always add, within the confines of materialism, they can neither be created created nor destroyed so yes there is real energy that is animating and working a human body Uh, when someone dies that energy has to go somewhere it's going to go into the environment and so there is a dissipation to a certain extent Uh, but here's what the problem is the problem is is that how would that energy maintain the information that was necessary to define a unique individual? Here's where the problem comes in because people say, well, spirits are, they, they, they leave the body and they're preserved as energy. Well, that's not possible. Based on physically what we know, that's not possible uh, because energy would have to be a carrier for information. Information is key here. It's a concept within the last several decades that has really taken solid root uh, within the physics community uh, that we have now conservation laws extended to cover information. Not only is mass and energy not able to be created nor destroyed, but the information from which they are assembled itself cannot be created nor destroyed. So what you have uh, is an energy field that would have to contain the information in terms of modulations on the carrier field, much like a radio transmission uh, wave, which is a propagating wave of electromagnetism carries modulations on its waves that represent, let's say, the, the music you're hearing or the, uh, the person that's talking over the microphone. It comes into a receiver, and those modulations are descrambled so that uh, you can get an audio uh, uh, output from the device that you can hear the music or the voice speaking. But everybody's seen an instance where If you're traveling uh, and you're driving distances and you've got the radio on as you get close to a city, uh, the the signal becomes louder. You can hear the radio station very clearly. And as you travel away from the city, the radio signal begins to phase out to where you can no longer hear it. It dissipates. It's entropic. It deteriorates. And I think that the uh, uh, to contain the kind of information that would be necessary to cause a uh, the, to be able to identify someone as a unique in, individual from that information uh, is just not possible <laughs> to sustain more than several hours in a in a in an electrical field. Tom, you've answered my la- my next two questions uh, as you were talking. So that's always good news because now you've left me without a question, I guess. Uh. Well, here's something that someone said uh, in the chat room. I'm actually watching the chat room. Oh, 
that we only it says uh, someone said that we only assume what spirits are. We don't really know for sure. Well, first of all, we get back to that terminology, Jim, that we were talking about earlier. First of all, we would have to run into a or or to uh, uh, arrive upon a general consensus as to what spirit actually means. What is that? Uh, for some people, it's an ethereal force. For other people, the spirit is actually what somebody might call a soul. Uh, it's actually the remnants of an individual uh, existing in spirit form. So we would have to first come to a general consensus of what that means. Well, what are we talking about with spirit? If we're talking about life after death, where someone is, their personality, their characteristics, their qualities are preserved uh, in that, <clears throat> in that spirit. <clears throat> then there's certain things that we can say as to what a spirit might be or what a spirit might not be. For example, if we have to preserve and maintain and record that much information and it could be played back because obviously people talk about, you know, ghosts and, you know, communicating with the dead and all those things. Um, it can't be in the form of energy. So we could say it's not that. People say that spirits, many people say that spirits, a person's spirit is eternal. Well, there's a problem with that too. If we're even if we assume that there is a sufficient amount of information that can be stored on a sufficiently large energy field that can be you know substantially maintained over a period of just a few hours at some point our sun is going to go supernova. And when that happens, it will destroy every order and structure and will vaporize the earth into its constituent elements. And any kind of energy fields that are carrying information will be disturbed. They'll be dissipated and broke up. So somebody believes that energy fields floating around the earth are spirits that are eternal. They're just mistaken. So it can't be that. And here's what leads to uh, one of the aspects of my book is that this information has to come from somewhere and it has to be recorded somewhere. And since we have no logical explanation as to what is physical that could record this, then the information must be being recorded outside of the physical. And without that element, we can't incorporate supernatural phenomena into physical observation and come up with a with a theory of everything that includes it. It's got to have a non-physical component to it. So I'm going to add, I'm going to wave hello to Germantown Runner and Cat. They're doing great in the chat room. Germantown Runner, hey. <laughs> you've awoken <laughs> the devil. I mean, the duck pond. <laughs> um. Are paranormal spirits uh, or entities found on Earth, or can they be found, say, in orbit around the Earth or in space? Well, here's the thing. to to If that were the case, uh, let's assume for a moment, because all theoretical work starts out with a, a premise. And as Einstein said, in order to test a theory, the first thing you have to do is accept that the premises of the theory are true. And then you see if it, if that follows through or if they could be uh, uh, falsified or, or discredited. Are there spirits, you know, orbiting the earth? Well, if there are, that would tend to say that they would be physical. Because we're talking about a physical location where they could be. And based on my work and based on what we can conclude so far, that spirits are not physical 
Now, that doesn't mean they can't manifest physically. I don't mean that. That's a different issue. But where they are conserved, where they are stored, where they are contained is not within the physical realm. So based on that definition, I said, no, there are no spirits orbiting the moon. So I, I want to take this back to a different place before we get into Germantown Runner's next question, because I know that'll derail you. Um, so, okay. So if we're talking about energy, we're, well, Tom, I've went off the deep end with this question. I apologize in advance. Hey, we're already on. The second you invited me on the show, man, we were, you know, we were off the deep end. Okay, well, can I, let me finish asking the question first. Sure. We, ta- we, we talk about people and their energy being preserved and all this other stuff. Well, I'm sitting here thinking because I got a, a text message from, or a, not a text message, a picture from my friend who had a tree blown over and asked me when I was uh, bringing the, the matches over because we were going to, you know. He wants to burn this tree because, well, it's in his yard and it's, you know. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, probably when it warms up a little bit and that tree has a chance to die. But, okay, so there was energy there. Well, there will be it. Well, it's not dead yet. I mean, it's still alive, but it, it's going to be dead. It's not in the ground anymore because the wind blew it over. But, there, okay, so we're talking about the energy dissipating and going. And if 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 human energy gives off information that we can understand, why can't we... Or I guess maybe I'll ask it this way. Why doesn't tree energy dilute that pool? Or other animals or any of these other versions? I guess I'm just stuck on tree because I, I find that one fascinating. It's a good example, Jim. It's it's valid. It was once a living thing. It has order and structure to it. So uh, it, it's it's a valid example. And here again, to, to address that kind of question and, and that kind of uh, wondering, uh, we have to look at information we have to see that the tree is a coherent collection of information that is held together in a certain physical form it's like the uh, um, the old uh, eastern uh, concept of physics uh, uh, the oriental concept of physics it was called Wu Li and it it was it, it was called uh, order and substance, so that just so people understand what I'm talking about with information, if you take a snowflake for example, the substance is water. It's H2O. It's below a certain temperature, so it's frozen. But the structure of that snowflake is a reflection of the information that caused it to form in that way. But if every every snowflake's different, though, Tom. Yes, every snowflake is different. Yeah, just like (laughs) us. All of us snowflakes are different, too, you know? Uh, Uh, That's a full can of worms for another show. Yeah, (laughs) and yet it it carries the same kind of order and structure. It can manifest itself in many different ways. But the fundamental idea is the same, that we have substance and we have order or structure. Uh. When a tree dies, there's a certain amount of energy that's going to be released, but it's it's kind of nebulous energy. In other words, the energy isn't carrying information with it. Uh, it's just like, uh, oh my goodness, how would you say it? Um, here we go. Here's an example. You know, if I uh, if I plugged my radio into the outlet and somebody was monitoring the the electrical uh, charge that's going through the wires, uh, the electric or the electromagnetic wave, do you think they could pick that information off of that wave in the wire and from that information draw me a picture of the radio that I have plugged in? Let's hope not. I mean, we're get, we're because getting... so we're looking at the same kind of thing. The, the the radio runs on energy, but even if the radio releases energy, the information on that released energy is insufficient to reassemble the radio from it. Here we are, mind blown again, because you, you we're talking about energy cannot be destroyed, but once it come gets used by that radio. 
Well, it's not destroyed. It's it, used, and a small percentage of it gets converted uh, into an unusable form. It's a very small percentage. It's, uh, it's entropy, um, that a certain amount of the energy is going to be made unavailable in, in, a, in, a, in a thermodynamic system. But the energy is not lost. Uh, it still stays in our environment. Then it produces sound waves as well, which I guess are another form of energy. Oh boy, Tom, I've missed you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell people, you know, when I get on these radio inter- interviews, I tell them, "You've never had another guest like me. <laughs> you may have had better guests or great guests, but you've not had one quite like this one." Um. Well, energy can make sound, but you have to understand the sound. What is sound? Sound is an acoustic wave. It's a propagating acoustic wave. It has to go through a medium that that wave can be conducted through. Uh, like for us on the earth here, that medium is the air or underwater. It can be conveyed underwater, but in the vacuum of space, it would, the same energy would make no noise. And yet the energy could still be behaving exactly as it was before. It's, you know, and I tell people this and they don't, and I don't know whether they grasp it, but a lot of times to realize the reality of something is to look at it with almost like childlike, uh, almost infantile innocence and simplicity. Hey, you're talking to the you right look, guy. I got that going for me. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, all these. Uh, uh, give you give you an example. This is one I'm fond of using. Of uh, uh, oh gosh, what was his name? Oh, they talk about him all the time in the alternative fields. Uh, there was Edison, who was a champion of direct Wait. current. Tesla. And then there was Nikola Tesla. So everybody's working on pushing electrons through devices and wires. How can we push it through harder, more, longer distances to make that electricity do work once it reaches the device that it's supposed to activate and, and, and operate? And, you know, Tesla just looked, well, you know, hey, um, you need to pass an electron through the you know, through the element of the light bulb, for example, to make the light bulb glow, to to excite it. Um, why can't it be the same electron? Why can't you use just the same electron and pass it back and forth through the wire and alternate the direction of it? Wouldn't that be simpler than constantly having to input fresh electrons all the time? That's what I mean by almost a baby-like, infantile, child-like simplicity. You see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I'm following you here, Tom. About four, I'm about ten minutes behind, but that's okay. <laughs> now, um, these are fascinating questions, and obviously we're still blowing my mind, which is great. So, or I have to scroll back up? Chat room just got really active. Let's see, where did that go? Oh, oh question from for, from Germantown Runner, who I do enjoy, but he apparently he's a newer listener, so I'm going to edit his question on the fly for you. Because <laughs> we'll we'll be gentle, Germantown. We'll be gentle. I'll edit. I'll I'll, I'll, um, I'll edit his question because I know part of the answer already. So, what do you think is the next horizon for the first breakthrough in uh, paranormal techno uh, detection equipment? Oh my goodness! Well. Some of the breakthrough is already there. I mean, David Roundtree did an incredible amount of work on that. Uh, and uh, if anybody wants to find out what that's in, what what's involved with that, just look up uh, uh, on the web. Look up EMF quadrilator. And there's shows on here. People, I've talked to, talked to David a number of times about it, so you can just dig back from my stuff and listen to him talk about it in person to save you from listening to other bad hosts that talk to him. Whoops. 
But the idea is, here's what the problem is. The problem is, is that we are not able to construct devices until we understand some kind of a fundamental nature of what we're constructing the device for. Now, if that fundamental nature is not an established fact, we have to work on theory. And super geometric theory gives us the model that paranormal events emerge from the superphysical or the super geometric into our physical realm, which means there is an emergence point. The somewhere in our local space where that event is occurring, that it is emerging from something outside of that local space. Now, based on our understanding of the nature of space-time, and Einstein gave us a pretty darn good education about that, we would expect that if something emerged into space-time from a place that was not local to where it was emerging, then we would expect to see certain environmental conditions change that we would see the effect of that hole in space time or what I call a differential field bubble being formed in local space it would have very very specific characteristics based on the theoretical model and so we would build equipment that would test for those effects And once we see that it's successful, and there's already been some success with this, then the next step would have other investigators build the same kind of equipment and conduct the same kinds of experiments and see if the experiments are repeatable. Now, don't get me wrong, people normally say paranormal, well, this is the science, fake news. You know, that paranormal phenomena can't be uh, researched because you can't reproduce it on demand. And all I ask is, well, what about sunspots? You research them scientifically all the time, but you can't reproduce them in a laboratory. You can't make them happen on demand. All that you could do is to focus your scientific measuring and observational instruments on the solar disk and wait for one to emerge. That's the very darn thing you would do in a, in, a, in a paranormally active site. You would set up your equipment and wait for the effect to emerge. Um, but you would have to have a collaboration. There would be other researchers who would have to be willing to not only go through the expense of build the equipment, sign on to the concept of trying to prove this theory and then do the very, very, very hard scientific field work to get those kind of results. And that's just too much. The vast majority of people in the paranormal field, we've talked about this. I wrote a paper about it for your website, you know, where yeah. they, they, they just, they're, they're really playing. They're playing around. They're going there for the experience. Uh, you know, they want the EMF reader to go off. They want the tape recorder to pick up the voice of dead Aunt Mary. And for them, that's it. That's that's all they care about. If this kind of scientific work isn't going to help them catch bigger or better EMFs or, or, or you know, EVPs or have a greater experience or be able to see more apparitions, they could give a damn less about what the science is behind it. The only science they're interested in is if you could make a better EVP recorder. Or, oh wait, I need to say hello to Levi in the chat room. He is from Australia, so I want to plug his website as well, Australia's Latest News. So he already knows how this show ends, so don't worry, Tom, no pressure. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I kid him about that all the time. I always ask him how my day went and, you know, all these fun little questions because of the time difference. So it's Wednesday morning over there. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it to him. 
Um, <laughs> That's cool, man. Uh, because he was asking if it was live or pre-recorded. <laughs> well, now he'll know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> he should have already known. Oh, wait. Never mind. Um, the other question I was told to ask, and you, you can limit your answer, Tom, because I know your answer. And, um, well, I think based off the last part of your question. Uh, 42. I forget which network it was, but uh, more more new paranormal TV shows are coming, which seems to be the first in a uh, couple of years here. And Tom Fusco is so excited he can't barely contain himself. <laughs> oh, my. And your question is? Are you going to be tuning in? <laughs> oh, no, no. No, I'm I'm way past the point of even, uh, even it being entertainment for me. Because all it's going to be is the same thing. It's going to be the same product packaged in a different way with a gimmick you know the gimmick is either going to be you know it was that hey you know the 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 plumbers started something that was relatively gimmick free whether it was contrived or or not was was something else and then the you know ghost adventures came with the gimmick that they were going to be locked in overnight that was the gimmick uh and then uh, paranormal state they had their dead time that was the gimmick too and that guy that kept getting possessed <laughs> you know that was the gimmick you have to come out you know the the one uh the the uh, uh the 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 dead files the gimmick is is that you have a former police detective who doesn't talk with the with the psychic until at the at the conclusion of the investigation, that's the gimmick. So they have to come up with a way to package it that it's a gimmick. But the rest of it is old news, man. I, I, okay, PT, I'm surprised we still have gimmicks left. I guess is what I'm gonna say to you now. Oh yeah, you you didn't. Yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, I didn't start my runaway train. <laughs> But uh, here we go. I'll throw one out here. Okay. Um, for people to think about. Remember where you heard it. Mauer Report. Go. That's right. <laughs> um, what can we say? What is the most simple and precise statement that we can make about the physical universe? One simple statement. Which... Of all the things, imagine uh, the Great Pyramid that has all these thousands of stones. And every stone represents some aspect of the structure. But the capstone is unique. The capstone not only has the shape of the entire pyramid, but it also causes all the other blocks to fall into its proper order, like a giant jigsaw puzzle underneath the capstone once you have it. Well, here's my capstone. The universe is an expression of materialized and materializing information. And that says it all. You start from that particular premise and all kinds of mysteries begin to open their doors for you. Because you've, you've found the philosopher's stone. You found the pinnacle, and after many years of working on that, that's the pinnacle. Uh, when I say that to people who are scientifically trained, you know, you could pretty much see it in their eyes. Like, I just fried a few circuits. Uh, so, if we look at paranormal phenomena, what is it? It's materializing information. And since we have no known physical surroundings that could record that information, that information has to be recorded from elsewhere and is materializing into our local space from somewhere else. When we talk about psychic phenomena like remote viewing, you're having information from a distant location materializing inside of a human brain as electrochemical impulses of a specific pattern. The brain becomes like a crucible, an environment in which that information can materialize in a physical way. 
Because if it wasn't in a physical way, you wouldn't be able to describe it, draw it, see it, even inside your mind. So once we start looking at it that way, we see all kinds of things that begin to reveal their secrets. Once we understand A, we're looking at materializing information or information that's already been completely materialized and that that information has to be coming from outside of the physical as it did in the Big Bang. Which leads me to the one of the conclusions of my work is that paranormal phenomena, the emergence of a paranormal event, is the exact same process and mechanism in miniature that brought the universe into being in the big, at the Big Bang. Once we get that concept in mind, we can begin to draw or to construct physical testing equipment <clears throat> that will test for the kind of phenomena that we would expect to see in local space if we had an emergence point in miniature like there was at the Big Bang. So this clip's, and some of the, as I say, so this clip's going to damn me later. Aren't we still banging? Isn't the universe still expanding? Well, here's the thing. This is the funny thing, again, that, that most people don't know uh, that science, just like every other field, has its trade secrets. And one of the problems with expansion, with universal expansion, is the question of space-time is that space is a substantive field. Einstein showed us this. He demonstrated it. It's a field. It's not an empty nothingness. It's a something that can actually be bent, that light waves can actually travel around the bends of space-time, which means it's a substance of some sort. In this case, a very specific kind of field, uh, what he called the continuous spatial field or the space-time continuum. People have heard that term on Star Trek or whatever, but most people don't really understand the what it actually means. It's just this crazy, cool-sounding sci-fi blah-blah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so here's the problem. As the universe expands, where does all the extra space-time come from? has to come from somewhere. Now, folks, brace yourself. Here's the established scientific answer from the field of physics, from the scientific community. Oh, it just appears. I thought it was from all the, com the time that I saved my listeners from not having commercials. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> but uh, it just appears which is the evidence that, that, that established physics has no answer for where the extra space-time comes from. Well, my prep proposition and my theory is, well, the Big Bang, they say, emerged from a quantum singularity, and then it, it emerged in, into the universe as the universe. According to my model, Jim, that process is, hasn't stopped that the Big Bang is still going on, that the universe is still emerging from it. And that would explain an awful lot of things. Uh, it would explain away the need for the existence of dark energy and dark matter, both of which are imaginary substances that would be required by a materialistic paradigm. Because all causality would have to be contained within the physical where the effects are observed. Uh, that's a huge thing. Uh, in fact, I was just chatting with Roundtree a little earlier online, Jim. And one of the things that we talked about was it wasn't so much the frustration of trying to get these concepts across. The frustration is to try to instill in people who are listening the gigantic, enormous impact and ramifications of what I'm talking about. 
it changes everything. You know, we're talking about breaking, or what I call in my book, cracking the cosmic code of creation. Uh, We're talking about matter from the void. We're talking about levitation, anti-gravity, materialization, teleportation. Talking about all these things that this theory could unlock because according to this model, they're not only possible, but they're an integral part of the nature of the way reality is put together. And yet we're still walking around. Never mind. Uh. <laughs> Science is catching up, Jim. Every year I see reports here and there that they say this can't be true and we can't find the evidence for this particular idea or this theory. So maybe that isn't what it is. Maybe it's something else. And they are slowly getting towards this concept of what I call a three-state reality. Uh, that we have the, the relativistic, the macro-physical state, we have the quantum state, and then we have the super-geometric state. And once they grasp that there really is a three-state reality, then many things will begin to fall into place for them. Yeah. Well, do you think we can get politicians to... Never mind. We're not going to get into mm. a third party. Okay. Um, no, actually... You gotta, you gotta either, <laughs> you gotta be able to figure out how to make money on it, or you have to be able to weaponize it. So then the governments will be interested, and it, it certainly can be weaponized. Absolutely. Well, if you could teleport, man, just appear. Yeah, or not even appear. M- yourself, make the bomb appear wherever yeah. you want it to go off. So, I, I haven't done this in a few. Well, it's probably been a month or two since I've. Now I, I, I'll get the. Now I'll get the men in black <laughs> knocking out my door. Well, take their picture, please. I've. I've, watched. <laughs> yeah, I've seen them myself, Jim. Yeah, I. They consider that I'm not important enough. Well, better your door than my door. Oh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> well, you were talking about this teleporting thing. It brought me up my mind to the Jetsons versus the Flintstones. Right? <laughs> right? Right? I mean that that was I mean that's been a cartoon forever, right? We're still closer we to the fl- no relationships between people like that. We're closer uh, to the Flintstones still than we are the Jetsons. In some ways. We're not flying. My my maid is not a robot. Yes. <laughs> not yet. I guess it's probably clo- that's probably closest part of that whole thing. We're getting there. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of was thinking now. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, well, uh, uh, we haven't been given a, a, a much time. I mean, you know, you're talking about uh, spaceman, a caveman to spaceman in how many thousands of years? And the advances that we've just made in the last, gosh, I, I would say, you know, really, technically speaking, in, from, from the Industrial Revolution. Late 1700s, early 1800s, until now. Look at what we did in the 20th century. As I say, we were we were talking about computers before the show started. I mean, or talking, you know, via the internet, not an actual phone. Yeah, yeah. So there's, but but the challenge that we have, Jim, and I think if anybody thinks about this, they'll they'll, you know, uh, they'll probably agree on some level. We have already advanced past the point that we ourselves have evolved. We are in possession of capabilities and powers that we really don't know how to handle. We haven't advanced far enough, uh, evolutionary-wise, uh, to be able to deal with what we're, what we're, what we're doing. You know, uh, it, just one simple example, like say in the field of medicine, where we have the capabilities now to preserve life, to keep a human being living far longer than they ever would have before. And we don't know how to handle that. Not laughing we, at that, Tom. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing I mean, at we'll that. preserve 
people, you know, when they're suffering and in pain and they should have died five years ago. My goodness. But we feel compelled to apply this technology. Now, I'm not talking about euthanasia. I'm not talking about that. These are issues that we need to confront and address in order to move forward. But that's just one example of, of, of many examples in our modern world where we're not really equipped to deal with what we've created. Yeah, that's a very serious point. And Germantown Runner pops up this question, which I cannot control myself about. And then I'll get back to my other question. When the aliens arrive, will they eat? They'll need to eat dinner. Will they eat Canadians or Americans first? Is the question that popped up. I'm not asking you that question because that's just. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> you know, back back it. in the old days, they used to do this to me all the time. I know. Pop up questions to try to make me laugh, and here we are again tonight. <laughs> Thank Tom's, goodness it's only an hour. <laughs> Tom's bet. You know, Tom's making this deeply emotional plea, and I'm just sitting here laughing over top of him because. I can't control myself. Well, Jim, that that's the thing that, uh, uh, and again, it was like I was speaking with uh, David about earlier. It's very difficult to convey the impact of this work, uh, what the ramifications of it are for life, the universe, and everything: spirituality, religion, science, uh, um, everything. Yeah, because because uh, we'll boil it down the brass tacks here at. If uh, ghosts and this other side do exist, that kind of um, dampens the this, this, this science camp and vice versa. If science can prove that there's no time or energy or stuff for that, kind of really tips the apple cart for the religion and all this spirituality stuff. Well, it, it tilts the tables against materialism. It doesn't tilt the tables against science. Um, science just has to open their minds to certain possibilities. The scientific method is wonderful. It's given us what we have today and the computers, as we mentioned earlier, that we're talking over. But there has to be an ability to accept something that was taboo before. Uh, you know, uh, famously, the, uh, what was it, the, the Paris Academy of Sciences with all those learned men in the 1800s when they heard reports, silly reports from the peasantry in the countryside that at rocks on occasion actually did fall from the sky, which we know today are meteorites. Uh, the Academy concluded that, you know, no rocks can fall from the sky because there are no rocks in the sky. How stupid are you? Uh, There's rocks you know, in people's heads, though. Oh, wait. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and and uh, uh, before we, Sputnik was launched, there was a lot of scientists in the 50s that thought the space travel was impossible. When we first developed cars, they didn't believe that man could move at 40 or 50 miles an hour. It would kill him. Uh, you know, in the up until the early 60s, we had no idea what caused earthquakes because we were not willing to accept the idea that continents actually move. Um, so, so we're still confronting these things. So I've got two questions in a minute and a half. So the first one's going to be easy, and the second one you're going to hang up on me. Okay. Oh. Where can people find the book? Oh, uh, you can find the book Behind the Cosmic Veil. You can go to www.cosmicveil, as one word, V-E-I-L, cosmicveil.com. And I think I have both the Amazon and the Barnes & Noble links. I no longer have my own link to the book. Uh, or you can find it. You can search on amazon.com or Barnes & Noble and find it for sale. So we've got about mm, 20 seconds left. Tom, this has been a stirring controversy, conspiracy since we've talked, so I need to ask your opinion. What shapes the Earth? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's close to being round. It's a little bit pear-shaped, but it's close to being round. Well, Tom, I, I, you know, I... Silly boy. I have, you know, I just can't. Some people, I know. Okay, you can hang out with me. Yeah, we're going to be playing out for music here in three, two, one. Mm -hmm. 
views and opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. For past shows, social media links, and so much more, visit Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. And thanks for listening. Say something and Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on.